Good afternoon and welcome to Strategies for Providing Application Training and Support to Maintain User Satisfaction and Productivity, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by 314E Corporation. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in, uh, using the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. Nice way to view uh, the screen. Click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how, how we're going to spend our time today, we're going to go about 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Jess Cornelius, CIO at Sutter Health, Mike Restuccia, SVP and CIO at Penn Medicine, Karen Marhefka, Deputy CIO at RWJ Barnabas Health, and Ryan Surratt, Director of Training and Development with 314E. So lots to talk about. Let's jump right in. Um, Jess, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Absolutely. Thank you, Anthony. So I am Jess Cornelius. I am the CIO here at Sutter Health. We are in Northern California. Uh, we serve about 100 communities here. We have 24 hospitals. We're a $13 billion organization, and we have about 5,000 physical locations to support across the northern half of the state. Very good, Jess. Uh, thank you, Mike. Thanks, Anthony. I'm Michael Restuccia, Senior Vice President, Chief Information Officer for Penn Medicine. Uh, Penn Medicine is the integration of our patient care facilities, six hospitals, hundreds of clinics, along with the uh, Perlman School of Medicine. So from a responsibility perspective, patient care, as well as research computing responsibilities. Very good, Mike. Thank you. Karen? Thanks, Anthony. Hello, everyone. Uh, Karen Marhefka, I'm the Deputy CIO uh, Vice President for uh, RWJ Barnabas and Rutgers uh, Health System. Uh, we're the largest uh, health system in the state of New Jersey, <clears throat> the largest private employer. We have uh, 12, almost 13 acute care hospitals. We have over 350 practices within the medical group, over 9,000 physicians. And my role is primarily focused on the ambulatory side of the house. So all of those, the huge medical group, um, our new affiliation, our partnership with Rutgers University, and I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Ryan? Thank you, Anthony. My name is Ryan Sarral. I'm the Director of Training and Development for 314E, and we provide training products uh, and services for healthcare IT and from a consulting standpoint. Very good, Ryan. Thank you. All right, uh, let's jump in. Um, Jess, we're going to start with you. Please discuss the challenges around providing users with software training and or support in the following scenarios. We have new employees that are coming into the organization, existing employees when they have to be trained on completely new software, and then uh, sort of the, the trickier situation that we're really going to explore existing employees on changes to existing software. So just give me your thoughts around those. Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest challenge is meeting employees where they need to be met. Um, and, I, and I will say this, this is probably everybody's case with the pandemic. We've had a really high rate of turnover 
Um, we are constantly looking at how do we train travelers? Can we even take uh, clinical staff out of clinic to do training? Um, so we're dealing with all of that in each of these scenarios. For new employees, we need to get them up to speed as quickly as possible um, and provide them as many venues to do that. So whether that's webinar training, tip sheets, um, training on the job, we need to provide that and we do. Um, existing employees on new software. So we have probably about a hundred new things coming into the environment every month. Wow. So that's a real challenge. Um, so we tackle that um, through our service desk with NIS, um, through trainers that we work with clinical operations and business operations on and try and get people up. And then on-spot training, you know, what can we embed within that software to help with the training? Um, and then existing employees on changes to existing software, we actually went through a period for five years where we didn't do anything new in any of our applications. Um, so now we're dealing with that challenge. About 12 months ago, we started saying, you know what, we need to make some changes. We need to standardize. We need to change process. Um, so that has been a challenge for us. But again, we've partnered with operations um, to try and pull that together and make that effective for everybody. So partnering with operations, talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. So within the business units, and I say business, anything outside of clinical is what I'm referring to. And then in our clinical areas, we've actually set up optimization training teams. Um, so they go out and round. Um, they might have a, a certain color shirt on on a certain day to say, hey, we, we want to get you trained on this. Um, anytime we take anything live, um, we do that for 30 days after. And then we have monthly rounding where we go out and meet people where they are and say, what are you struggling with? Or maybe we've looked at the data and said, hey, we think we have some issues here. Can we show you how to do this in less clicks? Can we help you with what you're struggling with? Um, so we are very proactive in that approach, and we found that to be really, really effective. Very good. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, um, of course, very similar. Um, and we've kind of embraced the idea of every, uh, all training being virtual at this point in time um, and relatively low touch. Um, so those two components have led us to uh, obviously all online type of training to take place um, across the board, whether they're new or existing. Um, and, and I think that has been a big lift for all of us uh, from multiple perspectives. Um, one is to make sure you have the right technology in place, uh, not only on site, but your uh, employees need to have the right technology in their home or in their location uh, in order to be able to connect. And I would say uh, we had a few bumps along the way when we were forced into this uh, situation. Uh, but uh, my trainers have shared with me, they, they said, you know, luck favors the prepared. Mm -hmm. And and I will say that uh, we were generally prepared just because, like many of you, we had begun the efforts of saying, you know, why, why are people always having to come on site and be in person for training? We had this belief that that was the most effective way and quite honestly, it was the only way we knew uh, at that point in time. But after, I think, some initial uh, efforts in standardizing the technology, working with our, our employee base, uh, we are finding that virtual and remote training um, is much more efficient. It's equally as effective and allows us to be quite nimble uh, in the manner that we can provide education. And at this point in time, we can actually provide more training uh, to our end users because, you know, it's, it's simply clicking on a link 
and, and getting to the site or clicking into our, our knowledge management system and getting that education versus dragging people into a particular location, whether it's in one of our city locations or, or suburban. Um, so I think that's kind of the uh, challenge we encountered like most folks. Uh, nothing is as easy as I make it sound at this point mm -hmm. in time. Uh, I'm sure that I know those first uh, 30 to 60 days were bumpy and rough, but um, over time we've really smoothed it out and virtual low touch is, is our approach. Mike, um, what are your thoughts around how you evaluate if someone's absorbed the training? So are there tests involved? So, you know, and I'm, I just actually uh, a little bit of, we were talking about before uh, we went live today about different uh, documentaries. And I just saw uh, one, I forgot to mention everyone on Boeing and what went on at Boeing. And one of the things was the training was insufficient. Changes were made. Obviously, this is completely different. So the changes were made and the training yeah. was insufficient. The testing wasn't there. So does that, when do we institute testing to make sure that the, the training has been absorbed? So, um, as part of our training classes, there's a, a testing component to, to ensure that you meet a certain threshold of, of knowledge gain. Um, but then we do three follow-ups, Anthony. Um, uh, the first is those that participate in the training actually rate the trainer for effectiveness. And that's done immediately at the end of uh, the training session. So there's a piece of feedback gain there. Um, then the second thing we do is we survey the participants and say, well, how do you think you did? Here's your score, um, but how did you think you did in the class and what could have we have done better? And then the third piece, and I think that's this is actually uh, the most important piece, is several weeks after the training, usually 14 days, we go to the employee's manager and say, you know, did, did your employee grasp what they needed? in the training in order to get their job done, or you know, were they like Mike and they needed lots of handholding, <laughs> remedial assistance, and you know, needs to go back and take the class again. But it's those three pieces that come together that allow us to continually uh, improve our process for virtual training. That is pretty uh, a comprehensive approach to making sure the material has been absorbed. Karen, your thoughts? So um, my response to this, my answers are going to be uh, have, have a little bit of a swag to them since our organization is in the middle of a massive uh, transition to, uh, to an, a different EHR. So we're going from at least 12 different systems or more uh, to one. And we're not doing Big Bang, just given the sheer size of our organization. So we're doing it in what we call uh, waves. And those waves are groupings of uh, hospitals as well as portions of our medical group. And there's going to be, there are six of them for which we're, we're almost ready to launch wave three. So from a training perspective, our entire organization is training, initially training uh, for our new, uh, our new EHR. So we're having, and this is going to be a great question for me to ask my co-panelists as we get into that uh, portion of the program today. Um, we are struggling with uh, how to keep uh, our focus on our implementations, while at the same time, we've got half of our organization almost live on our new system. Um, how do we support them 
um, as we're continuing to do upgrades of our new system, as we're training and bringing other hospitals and, and again, part of our medical group live. So we're, we're in a conundrum. We're working it out as we go. Um, we're, we're not incredibly good at it. We, we need to get better as every, as every wave uh, progresses. But I will say this, one thing that, um, that we have learned is that for our folks who are onboarding uh, into locations that are live on our new system, we've made their training part of what we call our Embark program, which is our orientation program. So that all of that is all wrapped together with their, um, with, with them, obviously with them coming on board and learning everything about our organization. Uh, they're also learning how to use our, how to use our EHR. Um, and number two, we don't do anything without partnering with our operations colleagues, nothing. We all are completely tied at the hip. I am to the uh, CEO of the medical group and the COO of the medical group. My colleagues on the acute care side, the same for them for each CEO of, the, of, their, acute, of their acute hospital that's going live. We don't make a single move without, um, without moving together with that operational uh, partner. So from a training perspective, um, we just stay in, lo in lockstep. You know, Karen, it's funny. I mean, how long did it take us as an industry uh, to figure that out? I mean, right, 15, 20 years. It used to be, <laughs> oh, hey, we bought a new EHR and we're going to roll it out tomorrow. Yeah. And then you started to hear you need to have the clinicians on board. They need to be involved in the buying process. And that's what you're talking about. They need to be involved right. every step of the way. It can't be an IT project. Correct. Uh, Anthony, when you and I first met, I was at UMass. Uh, outside, outside of Boston. And um, I was an enigma at the time, given my, my IT role, my leadership role. I am, I think I'll use the phrase again, I'm the least technical CIO you'll ever meet. I came from the operations side and uh, they asked me to step into a role where I would be the face of the uh, implementation rather than an IT, known IT entity. Instead, they wanted an operations entity, and I enjoyed it. Um, uh, I think our UMass was better for it. Um, I think RWJ Barnabas is also going to be better for it. Um, but it's a it's a unique skill set that um, that I that I bring in, and a lot of people are bringing into the role to the CIO role. Very good, uh, Ryan. Your thoughts? So, so working with a, a lot of our clients. Some of the uh, the trouble that people are having is that um, that's used to we used to do live training for everything, and I think that in a uh, post COVID world is there really a post COVID world? I think it's a COVID world, right? <laughs> it's never going to end. That you know, there's a lot of restrictions depending on what's going on in the environment and uh, and how it's affecting our staffing that we're having to develop new ways to reach people. And the biggest challenges that I see that is that sometimes our classes are half the size. Sometimes we're doing virtual training, which doesn't allow for a lot of kind of over the shoulder looking at it. So how do you support people as they're, as they're learning and the way they need it using the different presentation modalities that we have? Also, Along with that, our training staff is having to learn new skills. So they're and they're learning how to be, you know, how to present on the telephone, how to present in a recording. And so there's some challenges in that, along with the technology to deliver those methodologies. 
but presenting is presenting. It's getting used to presenting in many different ways. All right, very good. Mike, we're going to start with you on this one. How do you work with software vendors to understand the changes that will be involved in any upgrade so you can take the necessary steps? How do you make sure you get notified in sufficient time to do what you'll need to do internally? Yeah, and my comments here are more directed towards um, what I would call our, our primary vendors. Um, obviously, we all have hundreds of vendors that are within the space, and, and many of them, you know, their vendors, the, their staff actually perform the training and uh, to, to staff, particularly in um, niche de departmental areas. So, you know, that sort of takes care of itself in, in many instances. Um, although through our change control processes, we're aware of any upgrades or enhancements that are taking place, uh, a check mark is always, is there training taking place and who's training on it? And normally it's the, the vendor in those instances. But, you know, I look at our, our primary EHR and lab and other clinical revenue cycle type systems. Um, you know, the, the notification is pretty straightforward through partnership. Right. You, you get scheduled, you know when you're going to receive your upgrade, you know the path that you're going to go on in the process, um, and then you build in your, your training component as part of that process. So um, I think with good relationships with your vendors, I don't think we've experienced any major surprises along the way, uh, and making sure that the right materials are uh, reviewed ahead of time with our clinical and revenue cycle committees. Um, and then based upon what we're going to accept as part of any upgrade, um, then we, we put and gather the, the right training materials and whether it's virtual, whether it's through micro learnings, whether it's through our knowledge management system, uh, then it flows through. But um, I thought this was a, a pretty good topic that you, you brought to light. Um, and I, again, um, I think the vendors have gotten much better at recognizing your point earlier that if we have enough insight, we have enough time, and we have enough partnership with operations and IS, um, this shouldn't be a big surprise to anybody uh, from a training perspective. Karen, have you seen surprises come up where uh, software was rolled out and, and the users call you up and they say, what, what, this used to be over here, where is it? I can't find it, how do I do what I used to do? In my past life, yes. Um, given the structure that we have in place at, uh, at RWJ Barnabas, and especially since we're in implementation mode, uh, one thing that's worked incredibly well to provide that insight and just all around understanding of what's happening with an upgrade, um, we have something that we call a tower council. Yeah. And it meets every week. It's three hours long. And the representation there is, uh, well, the focus is obviously for successful implementation. Um, but while we're doing this huge thing, we're having upgrades. Um, our vendor, our main vendor, sits on that tower council with us every week for three hours. Representation by all the applica major applications, as well as our um, the support structures that weave their way through each of those applications, training, project management, um, inter you know, our interface group, our conversion group, everybody is at the table, but a prominent seat at that table is our main vendor. And um, that has helped tremendously with providing clarity, transparency, um, up to the minute, um, this is what is happening, this is what to expect, this is the feedback, so forth and so on. Um, every week, it's worked very well. Very good, Jess. 
So Karen, I really like to hear you say that because that is how we have been successful. So in every project that we have, I'm actually partnered with our CNO, our COO, and our CMO. And we meet every other week and we talk about changes and we look at things from different perspectives. Um, And our main EHR vendor is also included in those meetings. So there's no secrets. We really try to treat um, and, and we want to um, convey this in all instances that our vendors are not vendors, they are partners and they are in this with us and our success, their success and vice versa. Um, so I think from a, a primary vendor partner perspective, we do that really well. It's the little things that we find that get us, um, just the little changes. We, we had a change that, that was made to iPads from one of our smaller software vendors, completely took them off all offline. And it was only 10 practices that called out of the 5,000 that we have, um, but that was a huge impact to them. So those are the little things that we're trying to figure out how to get ahead of right now. And Jess, do you go back to the vendor and say, hey, you can't do this. What you did, you can't do this. We need to know about this stuff so we can get ahead of it. Is that conversation happened? Oh, yes, absolutely. And I think it's, um, you know, sometimes in the technology world, uh, it's easy for vendors to forget that we support patients. Your family member could be here. Um, so just that reminder that we are healthcare. We are not, you know, a hotel where a reservation system may go down. We may not be able to complete the treatment. Um, so we need them to be mindful of that. So it's often good for us to give that reminder. We don't we don't want to figure it out on the fly. Right. right. Um, quick question. Um, uh, Karen and, and you both mentioned having the EHR vendor included in these meetings. Uh, can we get more specific on that? Is is in uh, is there a certain level of representation you want? You don't want them sending the intern. So what <laughs> what, what are you looking for there? Uh, Karen, do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. sure. So um, we actually have, um, so our EHR vendor, we have second to the CEO of that company that sits on that council. That person reports directly to the CEO of the company and they come to those meetings every other week. And I actually talk with that person um, every week and say, this is what we're looking at. This is our strategy. This is where we're going. This is how can you contribute? What do you want to talk about regarding this? Do you have suggestions? Um, so it's a very bi-directional conversation, but it does have to be at the right level. Um, and I have been in the position where I've had somebody attend and said, you know what, this is not the right person. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So like, what do we do for you again? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Karen, any um, quick comment there? Yeah, same. Uh, I'm not uh, 100% sure exactly of the hierarchy, uh, you know, how how topity top this person or the the, the folks are, but um, very senior level folks from our vendor <clears throat> who uh, there's two of them who are sitting side by side to our executive project directors. Uh, there are two of those as well. And so it's more like a two in the box situation. If you come from the consulting world, you know what I mean by that. Um, but this is with a vendor, um, which is a little bit different. Um, we also have two in the box with a consulting partner uh, to help uh, manage manage the, the huge amount of work that um, that we're having to accomplish. But um, no, they're they're pretty prominent. Uh, these two folks are very very prominent in their in their vendor organization, and to the point and their infiltration with us to the point where 
many folks often ask the same question, are they with us or are they, you know, with with them or them? And when, um, and my answer to that is, this is great because they shouldn't actually know the difference necessarily. All right, very good. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? No, I'd just like to reflect what everyone on the panel is saying that, you know, the two things that are really key is really strong partnerships with the vendors and then project, uh, what I like to call project discipline, that mm-hmm. everything is planned out. Um, and I think that we all do a good job of um, handling the changes, handling the launches. It's the, um, it's the interesting things like Jess was talking about that weren't planned for that are, are really affect us. So the more project discipline, the more teamwork, the more, um, the more partnership that you can have, the better those activities all go. All right, very good. Um, Ryan, we're going to stick with you, give you a first shot at this one. Once you understand the changes that will be involved in an upgrade, how, and this is what we're touching on, how do you work with operational and business leaders on training in terms of communicating the impending changes and getting feedback on what type of training is needed? How do you work on scheduling, measuring effectiveness, and collecting feedback on the training itself? And how do you determine, this is an interesting one, if the training should be voluntary or mandatory? So we talked about working with the vendor, understand what's coming down the pike. Uh, let's say we're told what's coming down the pike. Now we have to go and prepare the users to be trained and then execute on that training. So your thoughts around that? Anything else you want to add? Yeah, the um, the most successful model that, that I've seen that works really, really well is there's always going to be a lot of information, a lot of changes that are coming. Um, software is getting more advanced as its capabilities grow and grow. That also makes training it a little bit more challenging. So um, I always recommend a three-column approach. So first of all, what is discoverable? What are people going to find on their own? And actually, they very much the way our cell phones work today is we don't get a long list of training every time I get an upgrade. Um, that a lot of it I will just kind of discover as I go through. There's some new options on a dropdown. Um, there, you know, something's in a little bit different order, but I can navigate through it based on the knowledge I already have. So there's a discoverable type of activity that we don't need to train for. There's also an, a, what I call awareness. So something that I want people to be aware of, it's a big enough change where people can still use what they know to work through that training, but they, we want them to be aware that there is going to be a change. Um, and so that they can take what they know and adapt to it. And usually those are very quick. I think I'm a huge proponent of video training for those. Just a real quick, here's five things that are changing. Please be aware of them. And then you kind of get into what I call skills training. And that's something very, very different where there's a new skill or a new process that's very different that people are probably not going to be able to work through on their own. And that's when we're probably going to look at some sort of training delivery so that they can interact with an instructor or they um, it might be an e-learning followed by a Q&A session, something um, patient safety, revenue cycle, those types of activities. So Ryan, that's really, really a great uh, piece of advice there. Um, Who's going to make these decisions on where any change falls? Jess mentioned the change that got rolled out. 
And it was something that was not, I think, discoverable as a tumor use. Mm -hmm. She didn't want them to have to figure that out on their own. You're saying there are some things that people can and should figure out on their own. Um, so uh, we talked about partnerships. You have IT, you have the vendor, you have the users. The vendor comes and is going to give you an explanation on what the change involves. They're going to have their opinion of where it falls in sure. that strata. You're going to look at that as IT. You say, I don't know, I'm IT. I got to talk to the users, right? Then the users have to get involved and they have to then comment on, I'm guessing, is this how it works? They have to then weigh in on, hey, no, that's not something we want people to figure out on their own. Is that kind of the dynamic? It, it is. And, you know, when you talk about when you're getting people in the room, I think you really want to have um, people with different viewpoints. So you know, want to have training involved with the with the IT group and along with operations. And if you don't agree on something, it's probably not at that level. Right. So if two people think it's discoverable, but one person thinks it needs to be communicated, then you probably need to communicate it uh, to be safe. Because that means that one third of the people wouldn't have been able to discover it, right? So you want to make sure you're covered in that. But usually, it's uh, people do agree on on kind of what's in that. So it you have to really separate the rocks to find the diamonds. And with so much information, you really have to focus on diamonds during upgrades. Mike, are you initially getting the opinion uh, from the vendor on the degree of training that's involved with any change? And do you find that they often downplay the degree uh, to which the change is going to require training? Um, I, I don't think they mislead us. I, I think they, they provide a, a fair level of, of what training needs to be provided. I think our approach is if it's really a net new function, it's a new system, um, maybe very much like what Karen and, and her team are going through, then it's generally some type of uh, delivered training. Um, and in this instance, it's, it's virtual for us, uh, but there needs to be some one-on-one -on -one training that actually takes place. Uh, generally for upgrades, we follow the path that um, Ryan had indicated that we try to highlight what the major changes are, what the impact is on operations. Um, and then provide either through micro videos or tip sheets, what those changes might be. Um, and then, you know, we extend it a little bit um, in that I think, um, you know, we're all from relatively complex organizations that generally have some level of uh, uh, residents and fellows uh, who often tend to be really good at using systems and discovering all those little function features that might be hidden. Uh, in the system and, you know, really leveraging those folks to provide support, whether it's to fellow residents and or uh, uh, the nursing community. And then pre-COVID, um, and this is where I thought we really excelled, is we do have an EHR uh, transformation team that is constantly receiving feedback from our end user basis to um, what's working well, maybe where we need some uh, strengthening of training. And we would schedule that team, uh, generally eight to 10 people, to visit either our ambulatory sites or our particular hospitals. And, and we'd have a schedule and say, you know, the folks with the whatever colored vest they were wearing that, that day uh, are gonna be coming through. And there's two or three things you've identified you'd like some updates on. And so we'd work one-on-one -on -one with people, but then they're just there 
and uh, for general awareness and general questions and answers. Uh, you know, God, I was thinking about this and when I'm doing a recurring order and um, I'm not quite sure when it has to extend past, uh, you know, a certain deadline. How do you make that happen? And, you know, having that shoulder to shoulder support, we found um, really elevated our scores. Um, we we uh, participate in one of the class initiatives, uh, the Arch Collaborative, where you actually measure your adoption and, and level of utilization. And wow, we were really able to um, make a big leap forward based upon that shoulder to shoulder. Um, obviously, at least for us, uh, that's been really, really limited recently, but um, we're looking forward to reintroducing that for the betterment of our, our clinicians, uh, particularly. Very good, Jess. Yeah, so um, Mike, I like what you said there, because I, I think I want to touch on this a little bit. You know, we've, we've pushed towards um, we have a three-tier system where we look at safety and quality. So how do we train to ensure safety and quality? Then what do we do to look at skills? What do you need to do to your job? And then the personalization, we let people figure yeah. out. But having those people embedded at the sites for the transformation piece, um, we've actually we pulled all of that out when, when COVID started and really went to the technology training, the tip sheets. Um, everything was virtual. And now we find that people are wanting us to bring people back. And I, right. I actually have a, a module implementation that will go live in April. And that specific uh, service line has said, please don't abandon us. If something happens with COVID, we really need the people on site to make sure this is this can be successful. So we're starting to see a turn back to that, but of course, struggling with that as we look at, you know, labor, labor issues and staffing. As are we. Yeah. 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 Karen. So uh, first of all, um, in our organization, and a lot of this is stemming from the fact that we're in implementation mode, but training is never voluntary ever. Um, so we, it's, it's a mandate and, uh, we have the pretty stern guidelines, um, around that. Um, and then I, I guess one thing that I, that I haven't heard mentioned yet was, um, our, uh, prompting and training our, um, our service desks, our help desks. Um, because when we didn't do a good job of informing, communicating training for these upgrades or just, just system implementation, um, that's the first number that gets called or an online uh, ticket goes in. So we, we do a tremendous amount of um, supporting our support desks, if you will, mm -hmm. our help desks mm -hmm. and making sure that they're, that they're uh, well, well versed, well scripted, well prompted for any of those changes. Finally, I'll, I'll add this. Um, I think, uh, Jess, you described it really well. I'm going to put what RWJBH label is on that, where you have the folks that are embedded um, at the hospitals and within maybe within the practices. That's our informatics program. And um, it works. It's very, very um, inbred and, and, and very um, active in our acute care system, in our, the acute side of our house. Our medical group is it's not a new medical group, but it's newly combined. So we, as we've acquired hospitals, we've brought along those medical groups, but those medical groups have acted as independent entities for a, for a while. Now they're all one. So it's a new, it's a new entity. 
Um, we're not quite there yet with our informatics program uh, for, for that, but that's our intention is to take what we have in place for the acute care and, and bring it over. Um, finally, finally, I'll say um, we're having trouble with our words. So transformation, optimization, in, an informatics program versus just pure training because there's something new to learn. So having a real good definition <clears throat> of each of those things and what they stand for within your organization so you don't get mixed up with, with um, what, the, you know, what the strategy is for each is extremely important. We're struggling with that right now. We'll, we'll, we'll get there, but we're struggling with that. So words are important. All right. Very good. Great stuff. Um, next question. Karen, let's stick with you. Um, let's talk about the training in a little bit more detail. These are all the different types that, that I was thinking of. Um, and if you want to talk about how you decide to use what, when. Uh, and then there's the concept of, which was mentioned on, alluded to before, which is in the workflow, available in the workflow. Um, yeah. You know, you have all this live stuff. Uh in-person classroom sessions, which we said it went away, but maybe coming back, at least it sounds like they requested to come back. People, Some people want them back um, where they're at the elbow, actually in the hospital or in the practice, um, live educational classes, live immediately available chat with a person, uh, immediately available chat with a bot, uh, and then things that are recorded and available on demand. So how do you decide what you're going to offer? Uh, is it based on the change that's going on and, and how that change is being rolled out? Uh, or are you try and throw everything at it? So um, again, given the fact that we are in implementation mode primarily, um, and, and I'll, everything, I'll, I'll agree with, uh, with Mike and Jess, everything during the intense COVID periods, everything was, um, was virtual. We have since moved back to a mandated uh, in-person training uh, for our EHR for that initial, you're going live in three, in two months. This is your training. That's in-person um, now. And uh, uh, with all the safety accoutrements that come with that. <clears throat> um, but uh, because we were in virtual mode for, for such a long time, um, we do have really uh, very robust uh, recorded versions of the of a lot of those training sessions that are available as refreshers. They're available. We use them a lot for for new onboarding uh, of uh, resources that are going into already live sites. Um, so every, all that entire list there, Anthony. We do we all of it, mm -hmm. all of it. We we depending on the situation, we employ everything that you have there. Um, we do have something, um, I'll, I'll use this phrase, it's called a learning home dashboard that sits within, it's accessible within our, um, our electronic health record system, where we add content to that constantly. Um, we have to be careful about how we categorize it so the lookups are intuitive to the person who's trying to find the help. But our articles, our tip, tips and tricks, sheets, all of that, that is a very, very robust part of our support and training uh, program here. But everything that you see there, we're doing it. All right. Very good. Um, Ryan, your thoughts here. Um, I completely agree with uh, Karen that it's not one size fits all. And really, you have to you know, look at what is the, and especially when you were talking about, you know, the different language, is it a communication? Is it a training? Um, what, what result from the learning 
interaction do you need from that particular exercise? And I think that kind of informs what the delivery is going to be um, and what you're measuring against. What does success look like? So, you know, definitely there are things that only can happen in person that e-learning and video just don't do a, a good job at. There's other things where, you know, looking at the recorded knowledge that Karen was talking about, the using that and sending out those best practices might be enough to achieve the learning outcome. So there's just, it's a, it's a lot of figuring out what your learning outcome is, what's the best way to deliver it, and what's in your budget to, to make that happen. Mike, anything you want to add? And one of the thoughts I had here was, um, and I mentioned it up front, um, our approach to be able to provide all these different types of, of training has made us more nimble, more agile. And thank goodness, because um, I think I heard Jess say the same thing we've experienced and perhaps Karen's experiencing the same thing. Um, our clinical community is exhausted. And there's been a fair amount of turnover attrition within uh, those ranks. And if we stuck to just the first bullet, we're gonna do live in-person classroom sessions. We don't have enough classrooms. We don't have enough trainers uh, to train all the new personnel that, that are coming through. So really this virtual approach allows us to scale and train more than, you know, make believe there's 20 seats in a training room. You can put train 120 at one point in time where, you know, you couldn't, back in the day if you were just fixated on one approach. So really, uh, as mentioned, you have to be able to provide all different types of training uh, in order to meet the ever-changing flow that's taking place within our facilities. And you know whether they're traveling nurses that are coming in or traveling physicians or just net new employee, it, it's a lot of transition taking place that requires more training than ever. Um, through the month of January, uh, we have trained as many people in the first seven months of our fiscal year as we trained all of last year. So you could never do that if you were just fixated on, on one approach. So being nimble, I think, is really important. Jess? So uh, the only thing I want to add to this, and, and this has been new for us, we provide all these different types of training. And I think providing all the mediums has really met our employees where they are. Um, but we are finding that because people are so stressed out, uh, we've had a couple of people that have reached out and said, hey, I took this online class. I'm still struggling. I need <laughs> help. And um, so, you know, they're like, can I get some in-person attention? And it's really paying attention to, you know, what their level of learning is and everybody's different. Um, so we've recently started doing that. And um, I actually started rounding on our clinical areas just to say, hey, we had this change. How did it go for you? What could we have done differently and collecting that? And we've been able to refine it that way. Um, but it, that's a new approach for us. We can say we can provide 10 things and we think all of them will work but sometimes it doesn't always work for everybody. All right, very good. We got our, my favorite, our Ask a Co-Panelist section. Um, Karen, I think you uh, mentioned having a question, so um, pose it, and if you want to direct it to anyone specifically, go ahead. Okay, um, I won't direct it to anyone specifically since I'm, uh, I welcome all, all, all comments on this, all suggestions. Um, so I, I'm, I'm flipping. I, I went I had my question but now I'm I'm changing I'm changing it up a little bit. It's all right. Um, 
Training within the workflow. Anthony, you, you mentioned mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. To me, to me, that is the number one request that we get from our, or I should say that our training team gets the feedback uh, from our operational uh, colleagues, our, the folks that are on the, on the front lines. Um, that, I'll quote them, that is the best training experience I could ever have is train me on this within my workflow. How we or we haven't been able to do that. Um, how have Mike and Jess have you guys done that? Have you had any success with that? Are you thinking about it, Jess? Why don't you go ahead? Yeah. Um, so we are thinking about it. This is something that we struggle with too, and and I actually wanted to ask. So thank you for for posing the question. Um, we are working very closely with, with uh, in this case, our EHR vendor to see what they can do to help us embed more in there. Um, we're also working with our ITSM um, to have a link to that to say this is a problem. Can I get a live chatbot to help me work through things? So those are two things that we're thinking about to try and address it, but it's an area we struggle into. Mike? And we are no different. Um, I think we all pretty much have, we're going to the same vendors and um, with the same architecture, so and the same uh, shortcomings. So uh, we are no different, but I will say, um, I go back to two things. One is um, we are looking to reintroduce our shoulder to shoulder support that I think was so helpful. And um, although not in the workflow, certainly it's as they're working uh, and that, that was most beneficial. And then the second thing I would say, and this is a little bit of a deviation, no matter how much training we do, no matter how much communication we do, you still have um, individuals who say, you know, I got a question and I, the service, the service desk isn't the right person. My uh, EHR analyst isn't the right person. Um, and so we created a separate group that's for all of those one-off questions. And we call it the Information Services Advisory Committee. Um, if you take some liberties, you add an extra A in there, it's known as Isaac. <laughs> and so Ask Isaac has been the catch-all for either responding or navigating or coordinating responses um, to all those one-offs. Like, hey, do, do we have a patient progression system? Um, do we, you know, is, is there a, a, a safety-related system that I should be more knowledgeable about? Um, and remarkably, uh, these folks handle, uh, on average, about 300 contacts a month, which doesn't sound like, I mean, we have 40,000 employees, doesn't sound like a tr- tremendous amount, but what we figured was that were 300 end users that were dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. They didn't know where to turn. They didn't, and maybe went off and spun off and, God forbid, purchased a system that we already had two or three of already uh, or did something. So, you know, what I would share with this group is having that one off system. They're sort of generalists that know how to navigate the complexity of our organizations. Um, Isaac has been really a hidden gem for us that uh, has really elevated. Uh, and it's become, I mean, it's just simple, you know, it's, it's a phone call or it's, it's an email address and they get rapid response. Ryan, your thoughts on in, in the workflow support. So um, I think I need to disclose I'm a little bit biased on it. 
Uh, we actually have a product <laughs> that does in the workflow support. Well, what uh, do you know? Check it out at 314 That was not a setup question. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I absolutely think it's it's a huge gap. Um, and so what I, so once, and oftentimes training is an event. And the, the question is, is how do you support people after that event? And it's really got to be in the flow of work. The closer you can get your information resources to someone, the more likely they're going to use it. Um, whether that's videos, the micro videos Mike was talking about, wonderful solution, documents, but it's got to be easy for people to pull to themselves. Um, and that would be my advice. Get it as close as possible, embed it in the tools, make it where people can find what they're looking for, and you'll see a lot of success that way. Um, and then on top of that, the live elbow to elbow support, as people are going through that live interaction, those things will definitely improve the, um, the performance of people adopting to the tools and their usage of those tools. Very good. Mike, do you have a question for your co-panelists? I do have a question. Um, so here at Penn Medicine, we have a mantra regarding training, which is uh, no training, no access, no kidding. And we implemented that, you know, probably eight to 10 years ago. Like many of you, we put t-shirts together with that. Um, we posted it on our, you know, activation posters and countdown clocks and all that stuff. And um, generally it's worked. Um, I, I think more than generally, it, it has absolutely worked. And I was wondering, do you all have similar types of approaches and how is it enforced? Uh, Karen, let's start with you. I believe you you said yeah. absolutely mandatory. It, it has absolutely. to happen and it's also in person. It's happening. So your thoughts. So we get a lot of pushback and we expect it. <laughs> <laughs> Shocking. Um, we don't have a cool slogan. I wrote it down, Mike. Uh, no training, no access, no kidding. <laughs> um, and I'll probably steal shamelessly. Um, but that uh, sometimes I, I really appreciate um, there's a little bit of humor there. There's a little bit self-deprecating humor, you know, almost, if you will. Um, but it's real. It's honest. And um, I think that's where we might have made a mistake because we did apply very, and they're still they're, they'll be there for all time, most likely very serious mandates around the fact that you will not be able to access Epic if you're not fully trained. Oh, and that means you don't see patients. Um, right. Yeah, you just don't see patients. And um, so we, we have to get better at delivering that message upfront communicating it in a way that makes the person stand up, maybe smile a little bit, take a pause, but understand um, that that that's there for a reason. So thank you for that. that I'm taking that one with me. Yeah. You got Jess, it. Any thoughts, Jess? Yeah. So, so I think we, we have that same struggle. So we've partnered pretty closely with operations and explaining the why um, and we um, continually check on that. I just want to say that because it's very easy for somebody to have someone sitting next to them say, yeah, just do this and you're good. And then you can get access and you can do things. So we do have some of that follow up that we do to make sure that it's 
sticking. Yeah. Ryan, anything you want to add there? Um, no, I think it goes back to testing and making sure that people have a level of competency. Um, the only other kind of thought I had in that process is also making it easy for people where um, a lot of people have worked in other health systems with similar EMRs and having a test out option is yep. hugely beneficial and a great yep. satisfier. All right, we're gonna do a lightning round of final thoughts. Um, we covered a lot of interesting ground today, talked about uh, partnering. I mean, if we heard anything today, we heard about partnering with operation, partnering with your vendors, project, project discipline. Um, and I would imagine, you know, whether it's fair or not to a large degree, IT departments, uh, their, their quality is reflective of how well people are using the software. So it's not, you can't just install it and say, I, I'm done, right? Nobody can use it, but I'm done. So it may not be fair, but um, IT is, is, I guess, to some degree responsible for making sure these things aren't just rolled out, but, but used well. So a final piece of, of advice for your colleagues. I think this is a, a subject that many are struggling with. Uh, Jess, let's start with you. Yeah, so I would say stay diligent. Uh, don't lose heart. Don't treat people as your opponent. They are your team members. We are all working towards the same goal and never treat training as just a technology problem. Perfect. Mike? Yeah, along those lines, um, training, and I, I like what Ryan said, training is not just an event, it's a journey. So embrace that uh, and then measure it. And mm. mentioned we use the, the class Arch Collaborative and um, improve, see where you've improved and then work to get even better. Yeah, Karen, it sounds like if we start with the goal in mind, which is to make sure that the people know how to use these systems well, that helps us work back and decide how we're going to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I would encourage uh, every organization out there, especially I'm using our experience of our again going through a massive go live. Um, don't um, we really loaded up uh, the help? The uh, Mike uh, referred to it as shoulder to shoulder. We're still yeah. using at the elbow. Um, we loaded up on our at the elbow, our super user program, obviously our training um, to bring everybody live. Once they're live, where is everybody? <laughs> where do they? Where did all that go? Um, and because we've moved on to the next wave, um, yeah. so uh, we cut ourselves a little bit short with the with the support that needs to be there forever not just for go live, but forever. So uh, that I, I, my piece of advice is uh, don't fall into that trap plan for both yeah. um, more robust actually on the post go live side. Very good. Ryan, we'll give you the last word. Um, I'd just like to um, remind everyone that the cognitive load from classrooms, especially when EMRs and how complex they are is very, very high. Um, look for if you really want to see a drastic improvement about uh, the way people are taking to software, it's look for how to support them out of the classroom where the work is being done. 
Very good. Excellent conversation. Well, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You can use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team and you can go to our website to register for upcoming webinars. With that, I want to thank our tremendous panel, Jess Cornelius, Mike Restuccia, Karen Marhefka, and Ryan Surratt. And I want to thank 314E for making this event possible and our attendees for coming. With that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.